0: mm
1: to not for the dinner table spooky season for the month of october we're serving up an episode every friday up to halloween where we share some of our favorite ghost stories and some from our lovely listeners get ready for ghouls and ghosts women in white and headless horsemen strange apparitions disembodied voices and things that go bump in the night as we celebrate October in style. We even have a special treat in store for Halloween itself. A throwback, never before released episode of our very own Ghost Hunting.
0: Ghost Hunting! Woo! Woohoo!
1: Episode 51! Episode
0: 51!
1: Oh my goodness! They just keep
0: on racking up. They really do. We're getting through them. We are. Oh my goodness! I'm thoroughly enjoying myself, though. Oh good. Oh I'm no, glad. we need to do a cheers, cheers. don't we? Cheers. Cheers. See, They're a, full. A, a full. They're full. They're full. The vats. The vats of prosecco are full. Mm.
1: Just lovely.
0: Indeed oh so have you had any sort of paranormal goings on safe over this spooky season
1: well i did have the other day uh in brain Court when i feel like the ghosts were trying to get me out of there oh i my told you about this goodness yeah.
0: yes why have we not shared so this? i was
1: in the salon in where i work in brain court and like packing up to leave getting all my stuff together went out the door of the salon. And you know when you close the door but then it slams because the winds caught it yeah it did that and i was like okay that's fine might just be the uh the wind (laughs) (laughs) then i went into the kitchen downstairs into the hallway through the kitchen door did the same same thing happened slammed the door behind me through the utility door when i came through the kitchen door i was like that's a bit weird yeah happened twice now Maybe there's just a massive gust of wind pushing me out of this door. Then, was, went, was
0: all your hair like
1: flailing yeah, <laughs> around? <laughs> through the utility door, same thing again. Out the front door, same thing again. Oh Four my doors gosh. I went through, and That's every bizarre. single one went whoosh to oh like my. shut behind me.
0: Yeah, they were, yeah. They, they'd had enough
1: they had the I told manicures. dad that today and he was like Ma- but the ghosts would never want you out they love you being here
0: Oh <laughs> I love that that was his go-to. Yeah. It's like but the ghosts love you
1: <laughs> but then I was like well maybe they just wanted me to go home maybe I've been there for too long that day and they were like come on now it's time to go yeah get it's out it's time
0: to get home
1: we need to there was no one else in the house that day so I reckon they, they all wanted like a bit of alone time party time they yeah. wanted to come out they were like, "Get out! Come on!" Yeah, Ooh, but that was a, a bit weird. Yeah.
0: yeah. What about you? Well, I think I—I I don't know whether it was um, like mid-sleep or Ooh. whatever, but I felt like I saw like a shimmer mm. in the bedroom, in the boudoir. Oh yeah so we've gone to sleep really dark and i think i'm kind of getting used to the darkness of village life because it's a lot darker out here than and we've got like blackout curtains and things Mm. like that but it's still very dark and i you know when like you're asleep and then you just sort of wake up immediately and you feel fully awake yeah so i woke up fully awake eyes open yeah and like just where the curtain is between the curtain and the door there was like this shimmer effect Ooh. like like it wasn't like figure like it didn't look like a just figure but it was just shimmer. But it, yeah so i don't know whether it was like my eyes adjusting, but i was immediately like what's that what is that what is that and i was like and uh,
1: then did it like vanish
0: when you yeah and then it was gone oh, yeah and
1: then Ooh. i was like right
0: back to bed yeah Turnover. turn
1: over go back to sleep <laughs>
0: Can't process that right now because I need some sleep. Thank you. I'll think about that tomorrow. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I know. So, who knows? Well, it's quite an old house, your house, isn't it? it's 1950s, yeah. Yeah. So. And you don't know what was there before, do you? Exactly. It's like...
1: Well, you're opposite the
0: church as well. Opposite the church. And the bell house is quite old as well. very old, yeah. And some other houses in the area, so... You just don't know, could no, have been an ancient don't. roman oh yeah, going why am I stuck in this size yeah, so by it's a bit dark in here yeah where's my what's what were the where's my villa
1: yeah where's my where's my um oh I can't think of the word <laughs> villa. Ah, villa where's my villa <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, so bit of spookiness going on. Oh and
1: it's your turn to read a
0: spooky. It is. So this evening, Dave, I Ooh. thought I would start off by talking about wraiths.
1: Right, Dave. A wraith ghosts. Well Or are they not ghosts?
0: You are about to find out. So this comes courtesy of Haunted Whitby by Alan Brooke.
1: Do you know what? I think we love buying haunted books from specific places.
0: We do. (laughs) I am going on holiday to the Peak District next week. You better bring one home. I hope to. Because there is loads of like caves there and Follies, and I really want to go up to Solomon's Temple because that looks amazing. And hopefully, play a visit to Chatsworth House, even if we can't go inside. I still want to go and see it from outside because it's just so majestic. It's fucking
1: amazing. Me and Andy
0: have been. Have you? Yeah, it's
1: bloody awesome.
0: So I can't wait for all of the exploring and ghostliness that's going to go on there. Anyway, come back a book
1: about haunted Chatsworth.
0: I hope to. Yeah. To see your double walking towards you would be something of a shock to the system. If you were aware of the significance of this phenomenon, there would be a good cause to be terrified because you would have witnessed your own wraith. Oh. A portent of death. Wow. It is believed the word was first used in 1513 to mean ghost or spirit, but over time it has other associations, particularly in the 20th century, where writers from Tolkien to Rowling have used the term, as well as a host of films and games. A wraith, however, is generally considered to be the reflected image of a person seen immediately before death, as if it were a premonition of the Grim Reaper figure.
1: Oh!
0: Wraiths have had various names, including Fetch, Waff, fy, Swarth and Taff. Fetch. Fetch. Stop trying to make fetch happen, Gretchen.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but they are usually taken to be doubles that also act as death omens. The double may appear real or have a filmy, ghostly look. It may also manifest itself in other ways, such as in the reflection in a window or a mirror or as a shadow. The belief in the idea of seeing one's double is based on the notion that an important part of an individual, such as their psyche, soul, spectral or astral form, may become detached wholly or in part from their body, thus leading to a temporary, independent existence. Wow. Queen Elizabeth I saw herself as a wraith. A figure had come to warn the Queen of her approaching end. Wraiths have made themselves visible to close friends or relatives of the person who is about to die. Mm. So kind of like the story that we the listener story we yeah, checked and told your in story. yeah. Ooh. The poet John Donne, whilst in Paris, saw a wraith of his wife. She appeared before him holding their dead child in her arms. Oh, no. At the very moment she was actually delivering it stillborn back in England.
1: Oh no.
0: The poet Percy Shelley saw his double pointing him towards the sea where he was soon to meet his death by drowning.
1: Oh my God!
0: The belief that the soul exists in a visible double is ancient and widespread. William Henderson offered a number of examples of wraiths in Yorkshire and the north of England in Folklore of the Northern Counties in 1866. The North. The North. Acknowledging no. <laughs> acknowledging that there were many omens of death from the croaking of the raven, the howling of dogs at night, or the sight of a solitary magpie, he stressed that the most fatal of all was for someone to see their own wraith walking towards them at noon or before sunset. He tells a story passed on to him by a highly respectable old man of 82 from Danby, some 15 miles from Whitby. Years earlier, the man was passing his uncle's home one evening when he saw the glow of firelight through the window. Curious as to why a fire might be burning, given that his uncle had long been bedfast in the room above, he looked through the window. To his absolute surprise, he saw his uncle seated in what used to be his favorite chair. There was no doubt about what he saw. The form and features were those of his relation. The man entered the house in hope of greeting his uncle, but when he stepped into the room, it was dark. The seat was empty and the old man was not there. He was still lying in his bed upstairs. Shortly after this incident, the man's uncle died. Oh! another sighting of a wraith involved a tradesman from whitby who was suffering from a failing kidney (laughs) (laughs) he had been ordered to go into hospital at york to undergo an operation before he set out on his journey he experienced his double his own wraith the harbinger of doom oh no the man said there was no point in attending the operation because he knew he would die during or immediately after it. Oh. Nonetheless, he was persuaded to go to York and he reluctantly went ahead with his operation. Tragically, he was proved right because he died soon after the surgery.
1: Oh, bloody
0: hell. A particularly eerie account of a wraith took place on the eve of St Mark, which is the 24th of April, in the late 18th century. From the 17th to the late 19th century, it was custom in villages in England on St. Mark's Eve to sit in the church porch for an hour both sides of midnight for three successive years. We need to do this. At the third sitting, according to custom, the wraiths of those who were to die during the next 12 months passed in grim and ghostly procession into Ooh. the church. Oh my God. Variations of this tradition have suggested that those watching would see headless or rotting corpse or coffins entering the church. William Henderson gives an account of a particular experience that took place on the eve of St. Mark at scarborough in the 1780s when parishioners gathered in the church porch of saint mary's one of the watchers was an old woman who looked at the line of figures who slowly and somberly walked and turned their faces toward her suddenly she was taken aback as one of the ghostly parades stopped and stared at her the woman looked back with horror it was her double Mm. the woman screamed and fell senseless to the ground Neighbours took her back into back to their house but the shock of what she had seen was too much for her and she died shortly after.
1: Oh, fucking hell!
0: Percy Shaw Geoffrey acknowledged the custom of watching on the eve of St Mark in Whitby. Before the old Norman parish church was pulled down towards the end of the 18th century, it was customary for Whitby folk to gather in this porch on the vigil of St Mark when on the stroke of midnight, shadowy forms might be seen passing through on their way from the church to the churchyard. Mm. This tradition sounds amazing. Wow, we need to start that. down at St. Ethelbert. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go and speak to the Reverend. Yes. The poet James Montgomery, who lived in various parts of Yorkshire, summed up the whole idea of the custom in this extract from The Vigil of St. Mark. "'Tis now,' replied the village bell, "'St. Mark's Mysterious Eve, "'and all that traditions tell I tremblingly believe. "'How when the midnight single tolls "'along the churchyard green, "'a mournful train of sentenced souls "'in winding sheets are seen. Mm. "'The ghosts of all whom death shall doom "'within this coming year,' in pale procession, walk the gloom amid the silence drear.
1: Oh.
0: I know. 20 years after William Henderson gave his account of wraiths in the northern counties, prominent members of the Society for Physical Research in the late 19th century gave particular importance to the subject of wraiths. Frank Podmore, Frederick W. H. Myers, and Edmund Gurney argued in their two-volume book, Phantasms of the Living, we need a copy.
1: Phantasms of the Living?
0: We need a copy. We do. That ghosts were not the souls of the dead returning to Earth. This radical view caused splits in the membership of the society and many left. Gurney, Myers and Podmore believed that they had found evidence for the reality of wraiths. In fact, they maintained that there were many more wraiths than ghosts, Their view was that after death, the body went through a process of dissolution in which it retained some psychic energy. In 1988, a nurse told me of an experience she had which has a bearing on this view. She was working on a night shift looking after a ward where people were either critical or approaching death. As she went in to check on the patients, she saw what could only be described as many small bright lights hovering two to three foot above one of the patient's bed. She went to check on him, but he had just died. Wow. Can anything be done to stop the impending doom following the sightings of one's own wraith? Oh. Eliza Gutch, in her book, Examples of Printed Folklore Concerning the North Riding of Yorkshire, offered one particular solution. If anyone sees his own wraith, he can avert his fate by speaking to it severely. Oh. She gives an example of a native of Gisborough, who, on going into a shop at Whitby, saw his own wraith looking back at him. He addressed it boldly. What's thou doing here? What's (gasps) thou doing here? Thou's after no good. Get thy ways, yon with thee. Get thy ways, yom. I don't know what that wow. means. It is said that the wraith slowly sidled away, feeling rather ashamed. The man apparently had no further trouble with it. It would appear that the combination of Yorkshire stubbornness and bluntness worked in this case.
1: Brilliant. We How need to memorise that. Cool.
0: So if you see your wraith, yeah, just tell it. What's to...
1: I doing here, lady? <laughs> lady. <Lairdier. Lairdier. laughs>
0: Excuse me, lady. Excuse me, lady. (laughs) What's thou doing here? (laughs) I love charity shops, Sue. Me too. How cool is that?
1: So cool. Oh, I don't want to
0: see my race. Well, you've just got to shite at it and tell it to fuck off. In my best charity shop Sue voice. Excuse me, lady. Get out. (laughs) I will. That was fabulous, Dave. Yeah. So I've got a second story. I don't know how this is going to go and I might completely edit it out. I'm so excited to hear it though. Because I have written this story. Fabulous. And it is called The Flower.
1: You're very clever.
0: Betsy had worked as a house sitter for years. She would go around the country looking after houses while people were away. It afforded her time to paint and draw. So she loved her job. Which was why the advert the agency had sent over to her was so appealing. It was a job for four nights looking after an old house with two dogs. It was great money, massively above anything else she had ever been paid. Betsy had asked her agent why so much and was told it was something to do with the individuals not lasting the whole four nights. Oh. She wouldn't be like them. She would ace this job, have a great time with the two dogs and make enough money in four days to have the next month off. It was a win-win. It didn't feel like a win-win for long.
1: I oh, don't know.
0: An old man met her at the large door to the house. The pictures hadn't done it justice. It was vast, Gothic and gray. Oh
1: yeah.
0: It was a manor house for sure. She'd never looked after a place this big before. He ushered her in without a word, and she smiled. The inside was just as grand, but dark and cold. A shiver ran up and down Betsy's spine. The old man stopped her in the foyer and turned. He spoke with a slow and deep tone, as if he were already bored of her presence. The west wing of the house is off limits. He took a long breath, as if the first sentence had exhausted him. The rest of the house is yours." He turned to leave and stopped. He spun round with the speed betraying his age and a grim smile that stretched his old wrinkly face in a contorted fashion. I almost forgot. There must always be a flower in that vase. He pointed to an ornate glass vase that contained a single flower in bloom. It mustn't be left to wilt. It mustn't be left to die. It should be changed daily. Do I make myself clear? Oh, no. Betsy was taken aback by his abruptness and such a strange change in demeanor. She nodded and smiled nervously. Albert, a voice shouted, it's time to go. Albert lurched forward and grabbed Betsy's arm. It was so unexpected, Betsy let out a small yelp in surprise. Please, he shook her arm make sure you change it every day. I'll make sure of it, Betsy mustered, trying to shake free, and for a brief moment wanting to leave. Footsteps behind Albert broke his hold. Come now, Albert, I'm sure the agency told Miss Cole what is expected. The woman's smile didn't seem genuine, Betsy noticed. It didn't quite reach her eyes, but before another word could be spoken between them, Albert and the woman turned and left Betsy standing in the vast foyer of the biggest house she'd ever seen. Mm. Day one was quiet. She changed the flower in the morning. She had found a bunch similar to the previous bloom in one of the gardens. The rest of the day had been spent exploring the many rooms of the house. She was inquisitive about the West Wing, but respected the owner's wishes and didn't set foot into the area of the house. The weather had taken a turn and a storm had set in. It would be with her for the duration of her stay. One thing concerned her. There was no sign of the two dogs in the advert. Oh, Day two. She stumbled on a room she had just had to sketch. She checked the flower and seeing that it was still fine, went back up to the room and got out her sketch pad. She spent hours in that room her pencil lines recreating the shape and dimensions as hours streamed past like minutes. As the rain lashed at the windows and the gray light turned to darkness, she had felt immensely tired. How long had she been in the room? She took herself along the corridor to the room she'd claimed for her stay. It was small and unassuming, but the bed had a marshmallow quality that she couldn't pass up. She sank into the mattress and was asleep as she brought the covers up. A loud bang broke through the pattering of the rain and Betsy shot up from her sleep. Her heart raced as she reached for the bedside light. She clicked the switch several times, but no light came. As her eyes adjusted to the soot-like darkness, another bang echoed throughout the house. She got out of her bed, goose flesh prickling across her arms grabbing a torch she moved out of the room and down the corridor another bang told her she was getting closer to whatever was making the noise she turned from the corridor and walked gingerly down the stairs to the foyer she had never been a fearful person but something about the house made her feel on edge as she reached the last step the bang erupted again and she could see in the torchlight, the front doors bend under a great pressure. She walked forward and noticed the flower. It had wilted and a petal had fallen to the floor. For a split second, she wondered if the two were connected, but laughed it off as nonsense. It was impossible. She made a note to change it in the morning. She walked up to the door, no further bangs came but she was sure she heard something walking away, scrunching the gravel. After the banging stopped, the lights seemed to flicker into existence. Leaving them on, she returned to her room and got a few extra hours. The next day, she went straight to the vase. The flower was dead and one of the doors to the west wing was open. She quickly Uh changed the flower and closed the door. As the day continued... Several times, she thought she heard footfalls tapping across the wooden floor. Night seemed to come too quickly, and as she passed the vase, she noticed the flower she'd replaced had already died. She quickly ran outside and grabbed a handful of other flowers, shoved them into the vase, the superstition of Albert taking hold. As she left the vase and went to her room, She didn't notice the petals and the leaves of the flowers she had just placed shriveling and dying behind her.
1: Oh, shit.
0: A loud bark woke Betsy. Uh Uh-oh. Was it a bark or a bang? She was tired. She couldn't be certain. Another bark. And the definite sound of paws running along the wooden floor made her sit up in an instant. She was asleep, she told herself but as another bark came further away and she listened to the sound of the paws ebb away from her door, she knew she was wide awake. Albert hadn't told her about the dogs, but maybe they had been kept in the west wing. Maybe they had had enough food and space to last until the owners returned. She had no choice. She would have to put them back in the west wing. She got quickly dressed. They must be large dogs, she thought, as they sounded big, not yappy, like some smaller dogs. Mm. She tried the lights again with no luck. She grabbed the torch and walked down the corridor with purpose. Show no weakness around dogs. They need to know I'm the alpha, she told herself. Oh yeah. A crack of thunder made her jump as she flashed her torch around the darkened hallway as if to try and locate the sound. Noise of the rain found its way to her ear, but where was the barking? She went down to the foyer and straight for the west wing doors. They were ajar. Mm. And she slowly eased one open. It creaked, as if in one last protest, warning her to obey the rules left by the owners. As the door opened enough for her to squeeze through, her nose was hit with a strange smell. It smelt foul and sweet all at once, metallic and earthy she covered her nose and mouth and shone the torch into a large room she found herself in the room was ruined the table and chairs were gnawed and gouged several chairs were missing legs altogether it was strange and in stark contrast to the rest of the house she crept in further her her bravado at being the alpha long gone her torch flickered and faded and she hit the side willing it to life She heard footfalls of a dog to the left and some sniffing. I'm not here to hurt you, she called out. The sniffing and footfalls stopped instantly. Mm -hmm. They know that, dear, a voice called back that was oddly familiar. Mm -hmm. You couldn't hurt them if you wanted to. You had your chance, and like all the others before you, you failed. Who was that voice? Why did it sound familiar? Two emerald lights burst into existence before her, and her mind forgot all about the voice. The lights hovered towards her, massive sources of light. They were entrancing, but seemed to cast no glow on anything around them. Betsy was transfixed. As they came closer, a low growl sounded behind her, and she could feel hot breath on her neck. She turned instantly, wielding the torch as a weapon, and saw two more emerald lights hovering at eye level. Don't play with your food, another voice called, and this one she did recognize. It was Albert. Oh no, the man who had shown her in. As the last syllable left his mouth, torches ensconced on the wall burst to life and bathed the room in an orange glow. Past the table was a small dais where stood Albert and the woman who'd called him away. Betsy was lost for words. What was going on? Had they been here the whole time? Albert looked as morose and sad as he had when she had arrived, but the woman next to him grinned with anticipation. Another growl tore Betsy's confusion away from the pair, and as she turned, her brain couldn't process what she was seeing. Two enormous dogs like. <laughs> two enormous dog like figures stalked around her towards the dais. They weren't quite corporeal. Wisps of black seemed to float away from them into nothing. The emerald lights she had seen moments before were their eyes. Consumed with fear, she started shaking but couldn't run. Her fear had welded her to the spot. The strange dog like beasts watched still watching her, their devil-like tongues lolling from a mouth adorned with opalescent blue dagger-like teeth. "'You didn't change the flower like I asked,' said Albert. He looked genuinely sad by his summation. "'I did,' Betsy pleaded, not knowing what the flower had to do with the strange scene that lay before her. "'We know you didn't, or they wouldn't be here,' smiled the woman. "'What are they?' Betsy asked still trembling she could feel her eyes welling up but she forced herself not to cry they go by many names Albert said the black shuck fraybug hairy jack bar guest but ultimately they are all the same hellhounds Betsy couldn't believe what she was hearing she finally found the ability to move and turned away if she could make it back to the door she would be fine As she turned, the orange light that hadn't been there before revealed the cause of the smell. Pools of fresh and dried blood littered the hall. What Betsy had thought were chair legs, when she had entered the room, were half-chewed human legs and arms. A headless torso lay next to the dais, its entrails burst outwards. As Betsy took in the horror, she felt bile rise in her mouth. She couldn't contain it and turned, hunched forward as vomit poured from her mouth. You see, we always give the sacrifice a chance, the lady continued, showing no concern for Betsy. The flower. Change the flower every day and you may leave. You may keep your mortal life. Fail to and your life becomes theirs. She outstretched her arm in a sweeping motion, gesturing toward the spectral hounds. The flower was Wolfsbane, Albert said, his sorrow etched in every word. It keeps them away. It keeps them in here. Betsy was sobbing uncontrollably now. Fear had gripped her. She listened to what Albert and the woman said, but it didn't make sense. How hounds weren't real. She had come to look after a house. As the gravity of her situation solidified, she turned and ran for the door. She had to get out. Oh, good. They do love a chase. Dinner time, the woman almost sang, and Betsy immediately heard the large footfalls loping toward her. She ran as fast as she could, but it wasn't enough. She knew with each step the beasts from hell were gaining on her. She reached out to push the door open, and as she did, she felt something swipe across her back. The pain was blinding, and she saw the door tilt sideways. Her legs kept moving as she crashed into the floor. One of the beasts was on her, pinning her to the ground. It felt cold and tingly on her skin, like pressurised pins and needles. It snapped at her face as she cowered away. She heard footsteps. They need to eat, Albert. It's our duty to implement the test. It's always been that way. She saw the woman's bottle green shoes walk past her and the man's black, shiny boots follow. She felt a strange pain rip across her throat and tears poured from her eyes. Get a flower, Albert, was the last words she heard as her life ebbed away.
1: (gasps) Thanks. That was fabulous. It was really good. You should be very pleased with yourself. Thank
0: you. We do love a good Black shark. Great, great,
1: great story. Thank you. Black Shuck. Hellhounds.
0: Hellhounds.
1: Oh, I loved it.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Well done.
0: Well, that is... Spooky season. Spooky season part four. But we've got one more listener story. We've got one more listener story. Listeners' Leftovers.
1: Woo! From Carlos. 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 Ghost Calls. I haven't had a lot of encounters with ghosts, but there was one time that I will never forget. Five years ago, I lived in. Zalapa. Zalapa, the capital city of the Mexican state of Veracruz, with my parents. We used to have a house phone. Remember those?
0: <laughs> we do. I still have one. And I do. <laughs> We do remember them because we have them.
1: And we live in the Forest of Boone. <laughs> <laughs> the telephones we all used before cell phones. And then they put, yes, I still have one. in my face. So in my house, we had a small table that the telephone sat on with a comfy chair next to it. We used to have one of those too. I might implement that back in our house. One night, I woke up at about three o'clock in the morning. I was really thirsty and needed a glass of water as my mouth was really dry. I hadn't been drinking. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, I got out of bed and went to the kitchen to get a glass. As I went to the kitchen, I walked past the telephone and saw someone sitting at the table with the phone receiver in their hand, talking. What the F? I didn't hear anything, I just saw the figure holding the phone. I completely freaked out, forgot about the water, and ran back up to my room and into my bed. I was so scared at what I saw. No one was up in the house, and the figure didn't look like either of my parents. I was shaking. I was so scared. I didn't sleep a wink that night. I told my sisters about the ghost I saw, and neither of them believed me. I even told my parents. And they didn't believe what had happened either. But I definitely saw something that night and it has stayed with me to
0: this day.
1: <gasps> Fucking hell, Carlos.
0: It's one of those things though, isn't it? Like when you do, like when you do see something that's yeah. unexplainable, it does stay with you.
1: Absolutely does. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh, it's oh, I've got, got a all tibble. the heebie-jeebies. so don't yeah. want to walk home now. Oh yeah, you'll be walking home on your own so, Dave, that's been a fantastic speaker season. It has.
0: So I thoroughly enjoyed it. Saturday after this episode Ooh. comes out, we'll get the. It will be Halloween, and you'll have our bonus ghost hunt adventure. You we will. We hope you like it. Slight caveat: it was recorded in twenty eighteen, yeah. so the audio <laughs> is not as great. And also, Sophie was recovering from quite a cold.
1: Oh, I haven't listened to it. Do I sound horrendous? <laughs> no,
0: you don't, but you definitely sound very coldy. Nasal. Like, nasal. Nasal. Yes. But oh. it's really great. We talk all about our experiences at the Ancient Ram Inn, all the type of ghost hunting techniques that we did. Yeah. And um, I've even spliced in the um, recording. Over a little bit of when Ooh. the thing happened.
1: oh my god i'm so excited for yeah. that i'm so excited i'm really excited to re-listen to it because i haven't listened to it and
0: it's really quite nice because that will be episode 52 which is kind of like our two year oh, yeah. and we did that ghost hunt two years ago
1: that's friggin' insane
0: i think it was two years ago it, it definitely wasn't been. well no it would have been december 2018 yeah, yeah. so two years ago yeah Blemin how? Because we didn't do it last year, did no, we?
1: No, definitely didn't do it last year. Did we? Did we?
0: Why did I? Don't know. Did I get it for your birthday last year? I think it might have been last year. Might have been maybe last it was last year. Then.
1: Yeah, maybe.
0: It might have been last year. I can't year. remember. Anyway, anyway blend to. one. Take us to the outro, Sage. All
1: right, come on then. (laughs) Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then why not check out some of our other ghostly episodes, such as (gasps) episode one, Dead Things in Chimneys our 2018 christmas episode episode 13 ghostly goings-on episode 22 haunted places episodes 27 halloween spookiness episode 36 haunted graveyards and halls and not episode 47 or actually you might want to now because we're like five episodes over that yeah. haunted forests yeah links for these can be found in the show notes hopefully if dave sorted it out <laughs> If you'd like to help the podcast grow, then spread the word and tell a friend about Not For The Dinner Table. If you'd like to go one further than that, then write a review wherever you find your podcast. Would be awesome.
0: Yes, please. Five stars yes
1: please follow us on social media services <laughs> twitter at nftdt instagram at notforthe_dinnertable, underscore dinner table facebook at not for the dinner table or email us on not for the dinner table at gmail.com you can send us your listen stories or ask us questions or even Sing as a jingle.
0: Yes, please. The
1: podcast is written and produced by. Me. And me. Our logo was created by Kaylee. See more of her work on Instagram at KCreate Designs. Thanks, Kaylee. And our music is by Chris Scott. And remember, everyone's welcome at our dinner table.
0: They are. Especially
1: in spooky, spooky season. season. Wow! <laughs> Fucking hell! What goes on at the end? I
0: don't know. It's possessed by the spirits.
1: I hope one day that we cheer so hard that we'll smash.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't! Not with all this out. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we'll do it really far away. Yes. And have like sugar glasses like they do in the movies.
0: <laughs> Goodbye!
1: Ooh!
0: The Dinner Table is part of Britpod Scene, an independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritpodScene.com or follow Scene on Twitter to find out more.